but one of the things that you know we've realized about startup is that there's just a certain mentality that it takes in order to be successful and there is just like a sheer strength of will and endurance i guess is another term and a way to look at it grit hi i'm aaron levy and i have this crazy vision of a workplace where your manager doesn't suck where instead of being the reason you quit your job is actually the reason you stay your manager is your coach, helping you to reach your full potential at work. I founded Raise the Bar, wrote Open, Honest, and Direct, and started this podcast to help companies transform their workplace by creating an environment where both the employee and company succeeds. In this podcast, I get to interview leaders who built high-performing teams and learn from them on what it takes to unlock a team's potential. Today, I'm lucky to have Monica Royer, the founder and CEO of Monica and Andy a company that provides organic essentials for babies and kids, along with kids' classes and events for new and expecting parents and their guide shops around the country and now virtually. In today's episode, we talk about how hiring right and embracing a human-first culture really helped Monica and her team take the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic in stride, and about Monica's personal mission to empower other female entrepreneurs and young girls to reach their potential through the Monica and Andy Girls Foundation. Enjoy. Welcome, Monica. It's a pleasure to have you and to have another conversation together about your story and your journey. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you having me and I'm super excited to have this discussion. Thank you. So the last time we talked, you, you kind of shared in, in your Monica and Andy's, you know, the story of, of the organization, how you really leaned into experiential retail right? The milk and cookie bar in Chicago, live music, art classes, baby showers, and you kind of created a community of mothers to differentiate your brand. Fast forward a few months, uh, a few months ago, and now we're in COVID. How have you had to change and adapt in this new world? Absolutely, Aaron. I think very similar to, you know, other companies that are out there, you know, we've definitely had to lean into what this post COVID world looks like. And so, you know, fortunately for us, there was a couple of factors that were already at play as this is as, as COVID was underway. The first was that we already were seeing how significantly the needle was moving in terms of the digital business. And we had started already shifting some of our community to being more virtual. As we entered COVID, we were at our lowest watermark for physical retail just by chance. And it wasn't because we weren't going to be building back up. It was just a specific time in the year. And a lot of our pop-up leases had come to an end. And we had already been planning like all of these great retail openings. And then, and then COVID hit. And I think in some ways, it really forced us to go more virtual in terms of our community. And it unlocked so much more potential than I think we had realized from a physical perspective. So obviously as you go virtual, there's things that you, that you lose from a physical perspective. You know, people can come in and touch the clothes and they can see the faces of the other people that are at the classes and they can make friends with some of the other parents that were there. And obviously that's much harder in the virtual world. On the flip side of that, we're able to reach and touch so many more people with our experts and open ourselves up to all different areas of the country that may not have had access to Monica and Andy before, just based on the limited retail footprint that we had. And so I would say that we just really leaned in to opening things up to a wider audience. And so that has had a significant impact in terms of our ability to just to build a broader community because it's virtual than what we could fit into a physical retail space. 
you know, that said, I, I miss the days of, of walking into one of the guide shops and, you know, seeing the milk and cookie bar, like hearing some of the music in person. So, you know, I think there's a give and take, but we have felt really fortunate as a brand to just have even had the opportunity, you know, with Zoom and some of what's happening virtually. I, I think a lot of times, my goodness, like what would this have been like 10 years ago? What would the technology have supported? And so with the great technology that we have had today, we've definitely been able to continue our mission of really bringing experts that we trust to parents in this expectant community. We've just had to do it in a much different way. It's so interesting and, and sounds like the timing worked out well, but also the way you're talking about it, it's like you kind of, you took it in stride. I, I almost imagine maybe at the middle of February when it all was, was coming down and, and the world was changing that maybe it wasn't that way. How did you have to show up for your team and as the owner of the business, as the CEO, you know, and also a human being with kid, a family, parents, yourselves, like what did you have to do to show up for your team? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think first and foremost, I have so much gratitude and praise for the team in general, because I feel like I think in so many ways, the team really showed up for me, Aaron. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think we were really fortunate that we were a team because we were a startup of everybody sort of being able to sprint while they tied their shoes at the same time. So I think that was one of the prerequisites of being at the startup, even pre-COVID is, could you do that? And so our team was really good at doing that. And so COVID just ended up being a layer up, obviously, of challenges from a brand perspective. But to your point, you know, we really were looking at humans first as we try to do it, at, you know, as a, as a team and a company culture. And so we tried to be as thoughtful about like, wh what are the things that we're comfortable doing and what are the things that we aren't comfortable doing? And, and one of the things that we did because of that is I think we were one of the first to close our physical retail locations. And as much as we didn't want to do that, as we thought about like the risk that was out there, we didn't want to put our team or our customers at risk. And so I think that, you know, we tried to be as decisive and, and air for us and what we felt were the most cautious way of going about doing things. Because as a brand of like parents and expectant parents, we all had a tremendous amount of responsibility for our children and, and beyond. And so we, we, of course, didn't want to jeopardize that. Second to that, Aaron, with so many parents at the brand, we suddenly found ourselves with all of our kids at home. And so we kind of set up some rules right away that were like kids welcome on Zoom, dogs barking in the background, kids crying, people changing diapers. Like it was all fair game for us because we understood that as parents, we were going to be working and, and living and tutoring our children and doing all of this crazy stuff at the same time. And so we really opened ourselves and normalized the chaos as a team which I think felt really, really good because there was no way of like buttoning things up in the background, right? Like we had two-year-olds and three-year-olds and five-year-olds and, you know, running in mid-meeting to, to give mom or dad a hug or, you know, update them on whatever was going. And many of us found ourselves also tutoring our children at the same time or, you know, trying to get them on their Zooms for their classes. So I think, you know, secondarily, we really embraced the chaos and, you know, the third thing that we did is we started what we hadn't done before, which was weekly full headquarters touch bases that were virtual. And so this really weird thing happened and that we became more in touch with the team virtually, Aaron, than I think we had been when we'd physically been together. Because in our old, you know, sort of scrappy startup office, we didn't even have a room that was big enough to gather the entire team. So we were always kind of like meeting more piecemeal. 
And so Zoom in this virtual world suddenly allowed all of us to be on a call at the same time. And so I think in some ways, the technology that was out there enabled us to be more in touch than maybe we were previously able to do so. So to your point, I think, you know, we really leaned as, in as a team and I'm really grateful to my parents and my husband for being so supportive of me because, you know, as I was juggling the team and all of the things going on at you know, here at home, I feel like I was fortunate to have this really great support network. And, you know, the, the team as well, I think was super supportive of me and hopefully we were of each other. So, you know, I feel really, really grateful for the evolution that has been the last couple of months. And I think that, you know, we kept thinking that just around the corner, I remember when, you know, they were saying, we'll still be home at Easter. You know, and we were like, oh my gosh, that seems crazy. There's no way we're still going to be at home at Easter. Right. And here we are, oh my goodness, how many months later? And so I think slowly we've gotten more comfortable as a team of like, all right, we're not going back to the office. Now maybe we'll never be going back to the office. So I think also the gradual evolution of what we thought would be the short-term hiatus from being in person happened so slowly over time that it gave us all a bit of time to adjust and to figure out how we best communicate during this. It's so interesting. I mean, I love the the three key like tenants you gave. It's almost like a a guide for how to lead a team at any time, right? Like we're humans first, embrace the chaos and, you know, communication, communication, communication. I, I feel like regardless of the scenario, those those tenants will help you and a team lead forward well. Well, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that. I feel like we always hire for will and like this team is very tenacious and has weathered a lot of obviously totally different storms. So I feel like we have this tight knit, you know, tough crew of people that have been there and done that in the startup. And so it's a fairly unflappable bunch, which I was really grateful that that was the mentality that we went into this with. Cause I think everyone had to dig like really, really deep in order, especially to survive the initial chaos. You say hire for will. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that? And, and how, do you, how do you do that? Yeah, I think there's three things that we really look for. So I think will, skill, and culture fit for us are really important. And so I think skill and culture fit are like pretty self-explanatory. You know, like, do you fit the culture? Do you have the skill for the job? But one of the things that, you know, we've realized about startup is that there's just a certain mentality that it takes in order to be successful. And there is just like a sheer strength of will and endurance, I guess is another term and a way to look at it. Grit, you know, that just like you, that you really need in order to be able to short up, to be short up for like the million and one hurdles that you're going to overcome as you try to, you know, change consumer behaviors, as you try to, you know, to build yourself up on the tide that a lot of these other companies are already like the much bigger companies with, you know, a lot more capital are already riding. And so as we start to look at like, how tenacious is this individual? Like I've realized after a couple of years of doing this, that that is as important as skill because somebody can have the incredible skill for the role. And that person might do a wonderful job at a much bigger company where there's infrastructure and team. But when you are a team of one at times in your business unit, or maybe two at max at a startup, like the will to get things done is so important because the obstacles that you're going to come into contact with are just going to be hard 
to scale and the skill alone of being able to do the job isn't going to get you over the hurdle. I, I absolutely love that. I mean, I think I'm going to steal that for our hiring because when we hire, we, you know, we first look for, do they have the skill or do they have what we call the competency? Can they do the job, right? That's needed. And then are they a fit for the organization? We spend a lot more time seeing if they're a fit for our values, but I love this kind of do they have the will to get it done? Do they have the tenacity to get it done? Because you're right at a, at a smaller business, at a startup, that's often the, the X factor of what's required, right? Being, being almost an owner of your, of your area and of your role. Definitely. I feel like in some ways startups, it's kind of like you're on a plane that's going down, but it, like, there's just always like <laughs> a major crisis that's happening. And so you really want to be surrounded by people that are like, Hey, we can fix this. All right. That's totally broken that shipment didn't come, that didn't work at all. Here's our plan B, plan B failed. Here's C, D, E, F, and G. It's kind of like you always need people that are thinking on their feet for that next plan because there's a way to find a way forward, but it just it's just like the, the energy to find that way forward can start to wane for people, understandably so, because you're used to a plan A, you might also have a plan B. Not that many people come into it with a plan G, and sometimes you got to drill down to the plan G. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this year is a perfect example of that. You know, earlier you had mentioned kind of like your family being a support. And I was grateful to get to get to, get to meet your mother and your daughter and see the support. And, and also know that the Andy in Monica and Andy is, is your brother, who is the founder or co-founder of Bonobos. And, you know, just the begs the obvious question, which is, kind of like what parts of growing up or of your parents influenced this entrepreneurial spirit that it seems like you and your brother, and I believe even your husband's an entrepreneur too, that like that for you to surround yourself with this type of plane going down world. I, I should say, you know, I don't recommend this type of a lifestyle with brother, myself and my husband all being entrepreneurs. Like we've done it and we are we're certainly leaning into it and making the most of it. I, I think we've caused my parents a tremendous amount of stress <laughs> by just all like, you know, having these companies, you know, that said, I think that I wouldn't necessarily say that Andy and I were particularly entrepreneurial as kids. We weren't like the people with like the, the lemonade stand that were doing like a great job making money off of whatever we did at the time. However, you know, my mom was an immigrant from India. She came to the U S at the age of 19. Her father was he was dying of emphysema and she, she came here in order to send money back home to him. My grandmother had been married at the age of 12 and had the first of her nine children at the age of 14. So I think that, you know, my mom and her family knew significant hardship and lived during a time in India where, you know, having girls and women just weren't as valued as, as we are today. And so I think that you know, my mom brought this mentality with her that was like, you have to work hard and you have to do good. But if you do that, you know, there's a lot of promise here in the United States. And so my parents were able to give us a life of which, you know, was much more privileged than the one certainly that, that my mom had lived. And so it, it's that spirit of like the, the child of an immigrant that I think that my brother and I have always like very deeply carried in our hearts. My parents also, you know, had a a multiracial marriage. My dad's family had been here for a few generations. Of course, my mom had just been here as an immigrant herself. And so my brother and I were very close in our childhood throughout our adulthood, because 
we felt different oftentimes. Like today, I feel like the world in this wonderful way is so much of like a melting pot of cultures. And, and at the time that my brother and I were young, I, I just don't think it was as much of the case, or at least we weren't as exposed. And so we didn't necessarily fit in anywhere, but with each other. And so as he launched Bonobos, you know, back in 07, as he was graduating from business school, you know, I remember thinking like, I didn't really know much about what he was doing, but I think as a family, we understood that he was going to need a tremendous amount of support as he undertook this endeavor of like launching men's pants online. I mean, the whole thing just felt outrageous in 07 compared to like some of the more secure jobs he could take. And I found myself probably as one of his biggest personal advisors And I ended up fortuitously with a front row seat to like the evolution of e-commerce and what some of the early pioneers, like the folks at Warby and, and Bonobos and some of the early entries that really had a vision for what the world could become. And then as I encountered what I felt was a category that was so lacking from an experiential, from a community standpoint, And oh my goodness, like what is in children's clothing? Like there was so much, it was such an epiphany for me as I had my daughter and I felt like I encountered so many problems. How could I take what I had learned from Bonobos and use that to solve like this whole new category of problem? And so I guess that's a long winded way of saying, I think we found problems we wanted to try to solve as opposed to really thinking about the true journey of entrepreneurship. And we just ended up being entrepreneurs as we did that. But that wasn't like the bug. That wasn't the initial goal. Like, let's start our own companies. It was more like, let's figure out how we solve these problems. And so that's how we inadvertently ended up in what you could consider to be a difficult place to be with all three of us having companies, but a place that we lean into and love at the same time. And I love that it's it stemmed out of a problem and a need. And it, it brings me to this concept and, you know, seeing Kamala Harris as the first black woman vice president that we've had in America and thinking about women in entrepreneurship and whether you are desiring it or not, you know, people look up to you in your role as a, as a female entrepreneur. How do you see yourself in that role and what, what role do you play in, in creating even more equality? in, in the workplace. Yeah. So Aaron, one of the things that, and first of all, I mean, I was seeing the acceptance speech of Kamala Harris the other night. Like I absolutely had tears in my eyes as she talked about her mom and seeing those pictures of her family. Like it's so moving and so exciting, you know, her suggesting that she might be the first, but certainly isn't the last. I mean, it like Mm. in the best of way, it gives you chills to think that like, wow, this next generation of girls is going to grow up looking at the world in such a better way. I have the chills now, even thinking about it. it, And so I think that I have really become, you know, deeply passionate about inspiring that next generation of female entrepreneurs. And I'll tell you why I've I've got one daughter, she's in the fourth grade now. And, and so, because I've just had her, she's come, I would say almost everywhere with me. Like sometimes I've taken her out of school. Many times I've kept my travels when her vacation or summer times are, because I feel like. I'm a mom first and everything else second. And so I felt like there were things that she, she would learn. Like, I wasn't sure if it was a good decision or a bad decision, but I decided to bring her along for the ride. And maybe two years ago at a panel discussion, somebody came up to us after I spoke on a panel with a number of other people. 
And they said to my daughter, do you want to be a CEO like your mom? And without missing a beat, she said, no, I want to be the chairman of the board because that's the boss's boss. (laughs) I remember thinking, oh my goodness. First of all, that's terrifying that that's how she thinks about things. But then I thought, you know, she really is learning something behind the scenes. And while there's so much of a disparity of capital, I mean, you know, the women only get like two, two and a half percent of the money that's out there. And I think there are people doing incredible work at my stage of the game to try to open up the gates, to be able to level that playing field. What I'm really excited about is how can I touch on the female entrepreneurs who are the 10 and 12 year olds of today? How can we make them comfortable walking into a boardroom before they start feeling unequal to the boys in the room? While they still think that they're the greatest humans alive, how can we affect change on this next generation? And so over the summer, my daughter was, was the assistant teacher in a class that I taught. It was a summer camp class called the elementary MBA. And so I've really become focused on teaching the basics of business. I never took a finance class. I always felt like, I mean, I didn't dislike, how can we affect change on this next generation? And so over the summer, my daughter was the assistant teacher in a class that I taught. It was a summer camp class called the elementary MBA. And so I've really become focused on teaching the basics of business. I never took a finance class. I always felt like, I mean, I didn't dislike math by any means, but I wasn't passionate about it. And I never realized that so much about finance was the gateway to business and business is so, is so much fun. How can we inspire more girls to go into business and to give them the skills that are important in business, many of which you never learn in school. And so that's like public speaking, being able to introduce yourself, feeling confident in, in front of like both women and men as you speak. And so how do we how do we get these girls to never diverge from the boys, to, to, to always be raising their hand, to always be asking questions? And so that's where I hope to really affect change in the future is on that next generation. Yeah. And this is what gives me hope and gave me the goosebumps as you were talking. The question that went through my mind is what's possible if funding changes from 2% to women to more percent, right? What's possible if young girls are learning about these opportunities, like what's possible for the world of problems that we have to solve being solved if you have more minds on them, if we have more doors open. I think it's it's so important and it just opens possibilities for everybody. Absolutely. So this has just been a really fun conversation and I didn't know we'd go in this direction. I'm just super grateful that you decided to share your time, to share a little bit about your story and, and to give back to us. So Monica, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, Aaron, thank you so much. As always, great to connect. Open, Honest and Direct is produced by Raise the Bar, where we help companies and organizations level up their leadership by empowering their managers with the tools, skills, and training to be better leaders of people. You can get in touch with us at raisebar.co. Thank you for listening and go out and put your learning into practice.